My name is Brianna, and I welcome you to the Tales of Adventure, a D&D podcast like no other. My name is Nick, and I play Relic, a Warforged cleric, on the D&D actual play podcast called Know Your Role. That's R-O-L-L. It's not every day I see a Warforged in the bar. What are you doing here? Salutations. I am Relic, and I am certainly not here observing any strange behavior or uh, peculiar figures in this bar. I am simply enjoying the atmosphere. Hmm. And where are you from? I am from the Grimforge clan in the Sunset Mountains, far from here. I have come here with some friends who are not here with me today, but have tasked me with, uh, not tasked me with keeping an eye out for things. Inquiry. What are you doing here? My name is Isra. I have business in the area, and I'm just looking for a change of scenery. I'm also curious. I've heard rumors of the Whispering Blades, and so I just figured I'd wander around, see if I pick up any information. Hmm. Well, I, Relic, have certainly never heard of any organization known as the Whispering Blades. Uh, I wouldn't know where to begin to tell you anything about a secret order located here in Baldur's Gate named the Whispering Blades. What do you know about this area? Well, from my brief time here, it seems to be uh, quite a a metropolis filled with what uh, some might call both hustle and bustle and uh, very different types of 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 people here. It, it, it is somewhat refreshing, but at the same time frightening. I, I met my first uh, fellow Warforged uh, here in this very bar. Uh, there, that that fellow right over there, uh, B4 Tender. Oh, yes. I'm familiar with him. Yes, well, it was um, admittedly quite a, a shock to my system to see such a figure as myself, since before arriving here in Baldur's Gate, I had never seen uh, another um, such as myself. But beyond that, uh, and the somewhat hectic style of our arrival here in the city, I'm not sure if you heard about it or not, but the runaway train from uh, Arabelle, uh, we arrived in some distress, and I did not have much time to explore the city before arriving here in the uh, in the Elsong Tavern. I did hear about that. I was almost on that train, but I got held up by some acquaintances who decided to go get themselves in trouble. I guess that did work out in my favor. Observation. I would say it is quite fortunate that you were not on that train, for the probability is quite high that you would have found yourself to be murdered and then reanimated as an undead corpse to attack us and my uh, my fellow adventurers. So there was a necromancer on the train? Uh, I'm... There, I mean, no... Uh, 
that is simply a, a a rumor that I had, of course, heard. I would not know anything about such a necromancer named Malone. I mean, anyone. And what were you and your party doing on the train? We were... Um, how do I put this? Let You know, I probably... The others would probably say I shouldn't be speaking to you, but there's there's something about you that seems trustworthy. Wait a second. My friend Jeff says that if you're a cop, you have to tell me. You're not a cop, are you? No, of course not. I'm not even from here. Okay, well then I don't see what the harm is. Um, well, yes, it actually feels quite good to get some of this off my forge. We were sent here by uh, a known associate of the... Whispering Blades, who had uh, witnessed some of our own adventures in the town of Arabelle and suggested that we come here to Baldur's Gate to inquire about joining the Whispering Blades. But on that train, we were waylaid. Well, I should say we were surprised to find in the morning a, a person had been murdered and it it led to a sort of uh, mystery of one might say as we attempted to assist in discovering who had done such a thing and well one thing led to another a child be turned out to be a necromancer murdered the rest of the train and brought them back to life and then their associate attempted to uh, run that train into Baldur's gate i'm surprised to find that most of the rumors i heard were in fact true Confession, I must admit that we were not exactly inconspicuous upon our arrival uh, in town. Uh, my companion Gorlax Batista uh, used his immense strength to punch a hole through the train wall as we arrived in, in the city and quite loudly announced us to the crowd uh, as we made our way through and escaped before the arrival of the city watch. I imagine that to me is quite the impression. Yes, and my party members tell me that the decapitated ogre head that I had strapped to my back for, I believe, about two weeks now uh, also probably attracted some attention. I've since discarded it, but I did not realize that it would be such a strange or peculiar sight to those of the uh, common world. I exactly did you have it strapped to your back? Well, back at the Grimforge clan, the uh, dwarves that patrol the mines would often bring back trophies of their kill, perhaps a cloaker worn upon their back as a cloak or a uh, tentacle from a displacer beast. And well, after our party defeated the uh, ogre outside the town of Fardsbottom, it seemed only appropriate to bring it with us as proof of our uh, great deeds. I guess that makes sense. I only realized um, later that I had access to a a spell through my clerical powers known as a gentle repose, which would have spared us the decomposition of the head and probably significant societal uh, judgment. But, well, you know what they say. When the, the metal is cool, there's nothing to be done. I've heard that phrase. I haven't heard of many other Warforged clerics before. Admission, I do believe that I am somewhat unique in my current pursuits as a cleric of Moradin. I understand that the vast majority of his believers tend to be dwarves. And although I appear as a warforged in my metal and wood frame, I am at my heart a dwarf. Um, I understand that is likely 
difficult for others to understand given my appearance and uh, the affect of my voice. I, I lack the 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 uh, brogue of my my brethren, my bearded uh, brethren. But in my in my forge, I, I do feel as if I am a dwarf. And Moradin has welcomed me into his halls in 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 quite a, a an amazingly tolerant fashion. I must say. I'm glad to hear that. Do you have a god? Not a particular one, but I'm on good terms with many of them. Well, perhaps you would just take this pamphlet of Moradin. Uh, my companion Gorlax helped me put it together. Just something to think about, some um, reading materials, as they say. Moradin is quite an amazing god, and one, uh, although I know there are many, I often do what I can to spread his, his, his gospel, as they say. So perhaps you would just take this and, and consider it. Sure. I'm always curious to learn more. I too am quite curious. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I have been so excited to explore this world. Although I left my home under less than admirable circumstances, meeting my, my new friends and learning these many new things has really been quite the experience for me. I, I spent the last two years living as what some would call, I believe, a, a hermit. Hmm, and what caused that? Well, my... My fathers, uh, who found me abandoned in the Underdark and are the ones who brought me back to life, they feared that the rest of the world would not understand me. And they, they spent the last two years trying to teach me how to acclimate and assimilate into other cultures. But I, I must confess that if what my party members have told me, I am not exactly as adept at doing so as I once thought. Although, as you can see from my relaxed stance now, I look to be just another patron of this bar. And this beer that I am about to drink is quite tasty. Pretending to be something different is always challenging, but takes time and practice, and you're doing rather well. Appreciation. That is a nice thing for you to say. I, I was eventually... Well, I don't really talk about this much, but... It turns out, while my fathers attempted to protect me from the outside world, it, it was actually those inside the clan who would be my undoing. There were several members of the clan council who felt that my skill with the hammer and the forge had begun to exceed even the most skilled crafters of the clan, and that I was perhaps some sort of abomination and not fit to be a part of the clan. And before any more drastic measures could be taken in regards to my deconstruction, uh, my fathers smuggled me out of the clan uh, and, and gave me supplies, including this very hammer I carry on my back, and told me not to come back for some time while they sorted things out. Oftentimes, people do fear that which they don't understand. I'm sorry, though, to hear that it's at least for now, has cost you your home. Uh, yes, and I I do miss my fathers dearly, but now that we are here in Baldur's Gate, I understand that there may be spellcasters who have access to magic that might allow me to communicate that with them once more, and so I do, I do so hope at some point to have access to such spells. I would very much enjoy speaking with them once more. This is definitely a possibility if you know who to talk to. And might I ask, uh, Isra it is, correct? Yes. You say that you are here to learn more about the Whispering Blades. Yes, I often travel striking up conversations with different adventurers, and 
It's an organization that I would like to know more about. Well, I do believe that I am under some sort of mm, confidentiality agreement regarding the order's specific members and location, but I can't imagine that it would be detrimental for me to speak of their good works. I would love to hear about it, but only what you feel comfortable sharing. Well, we are relatively new to to the order, uh, and I, 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 this this brooch that I have here beneath my vestments, as you can see, the uh, the finger over the lips, as if to keep a secret, uh, speaks, I think, to their their secretive nature. But from what little I know so far, they seem to be focused on doing good here in the world and rescuing those such as my party uh, who begin to come into any sort of uh, adventuring fame or power um, perhaps uh, supposedly though i am new to the, the the overworld here many adventurers like us seem to come to some sort of uh, ill ends uh, soon after beginning to gather any sort of renown and this order seems to specialize in finding those people and bringing them in to protect them I can admire that. I've known many a well-intentioned adventurer to, as you said, meet ill ends. Yes, and perhaps in the future you might be able to direct some of them to um, seek out the blades, for we have found them to be most accommodating, even going so far as to accept us as what I believe uh, the group refers to as subcontractors, not wanting to exist under the name The Whispering Blades alone, we have chosen to call ourselves the Slippery Swords, which is a name that brings much laughter and humor to the others in the group. I'm not quite sure I understand it, as a Slippery Sword seems as if it would not be very useful to the wielder. I believe they're viewing it as a sort of euphemism, a reference to something else that is potentially considered inappropriate. Mm, this this seems like it could be very true. My my companions are often what you would call inappropriate. That's a normal thing among people who adventure a lot. You have to have a weird sense of humor to deal with how crazy things get and how weird it gets. This is true. While I found them to be somewhat disconcerting at first, when first we met, on the wagon in the town to uh, Fardsbottom, I have, you know, slowly but surely come to consider them my closest friends. Uh, Neko, in particular, my my shifter friend, similar to me, was also here almost as an outcast. Uh, we have not met many others of her kind, and like me, she is somewhat new to this world, and so I think her and I have found sort of a special bond. I've noticed shifters do tend to keep to themselves. Yes, she she can keep to herself, but she also helps keep us on, on the right track. When Jeff and Gorlax and I are off and off on our own little antics, she often finds a way to whip us back into shape. Not quite literally, as the whip she wields, uh, Coil Baby, is quite deadly and would likely cause severe damages to my system if she were to use it on me. She's probably well aware of that fact, but I would be curious to know if she got it. Weapons like that are rare and can be valuable and useful in their light hands. Admission. I too would like to know where she came into possession of the weapon. She actually had it on her person when first we met. But here's the interesting thing. Recently, when we battled a uh, creature known as a uh, Yuan-Ti, when her whip drew blood from one of them, it seemed to awaken 
and speak into her mind, much in the same way that Moradin speaks into my own mind. And Neko has shared with us that she was somewhat disconcerted by this, but she believes that whatever she did seems to have awoken the weapon itself. It's quite an interesting work of craftsmanship as well. The hilt itself appears as a uh, snakehead. As a as someone who typically works more with iron and steel, I am not quite as familiar with those working in leather and other such softer materials, but I, I recognize great craftsmanship when I see it. Definitely sounds like something that is enchanted, if not binding some sort of living conscious to it. Well, as someone who sometimes feels as if I have been bound as a living conscious to this construct you see here, I would be curious to learn more myself. Do you not know much of where, you're ca where you came or how your people came to be? <sighs> Sadly, I know nearly nothing of where my people came from, much less myself. According to my fathers, um, they found me while they were on an expedition into the Underdark. I was uh, abandoned in some sort of collapsed tunnel. They saw me by the torchlight glinting off my, my frame and returned me to the to the clan where through a, a ceremony a religious ceremony to to Moradin they actually rekindled the forge in my chest uh, upon doing so i awoke with no memory of who i was or where i came from and they could only tell me that that they that they had found me until i met b4 tender over there uh, i had never met another warforged like myself so i'm unsure if we were created by the Allfather, or by someone else, or what my true purpose in life really is. Well, perhaps your true purpose is whatever you decide to make it. That's an interesting way to look at things. I will have to consider this. Yes, there it is. Whatever it is you are created to do, and whatever you choose to do with your ability. Hmm. Well, I've done what I can to do good, but I, I must confess to you, Isra, I, I have had doubts. Many of the acts of, of, of good that I have attempted to accomplish have actually resulted in more harm, including what occurred on the train. The, the child necromancer, when first we subdued him, the rest of the party wanted to execute him without any judge, any jury, and I objected. And the party did relent. We tied him up and kept someone to watch over him and not... Two or three hours later, he escaped, killing his captor, killing the others on the train, and resurrecting them as undead abominations. And, and I, of course, assisted the parties in, in vanquishing them and hopefully freeing their souls. But I have been asking myself ever since that perhaps I made the wrong decision in granting mercy to that, that necromancer. I see it. Unless you truly know someone to be truly evil with no possibility of changing or gaining control of their darkness, mercy is never the wrong choice. There is no way you could have known what that child would do, and he was just a child. Exactly. That was my original supposition, was that if this had been some gnarled, old, grizzled uh, necromancer of ancient age that perhaps had had an entire life to consider his decisions, I might have felt differently, but it, it never struck me as right, but when I saw the madness in, in Malone's eyes there at the end, I I knew that there was no hope for him, and I was not the one who struck the final blow, but it is still something that has haunted me 
to, to this day. To come into that kind of power at such a young age. It's frightening. There could honestly. have been a chance that he would have could have been brought back, but it's there's usually no way of knowing. Yes. It's well, difficult and I wondered how he came across the knowledge required to be a necrodomancer. I do as well. I actually still have his arcane focus here in my belongings, which I've been meaning to take to a uh, magical practitioner of some sort to have it assessed to see if perhaps it was cursed and maybe that's what made him do the things that he did. But in the future, I must admit, while I will always look for mercy and look for justice, I, I will confess that now I will think twice and uh, it, it's a difficult realization to come to. But I will still try and do good. And as you said, I will try and perhaps find my own purpose or make my own purpose rather than spend my life looking for of common practice, I find, is trust but verify. Hmm. Interesting. I will have to log that in my databanks as a saying to return to. Situations like that, as I said, it's hard, but you did the right thing binding him and leaving with a guard with him. Normally, children would not be that powerful, but I suspect... He had more power dumped into him than he was ready for, but was somehow able to channel it at least, which is how he was so dangerous. Yes, yes. And I suspect you are correct. We have only heard rumors of them, whispers along the way, but there is some other order out there, counter to our own, known as the Pillars. And we don't know much about them, but the Necromancer's companion I spoke of, the one who set the train to run rampant into the city, who's an Aarakocra named Larry, he, in his final moments, warned us that the pillars were coming for us and that we didn't stand a chance. And I very much intend to find these pillars and find out what connection they had to what happened on that train. I suspect this this boy was lured in, into their, their grasps and granted this power in, in such a way that he was not prepared for, as you said, but child might not even have realized what he was doing. It's true. And I, I would warn you that in your adventures, if you have any encounters with anyone connected with these pillars, to, to guard yourself. They seem to be quite dangerous. I'll have to keep that in mind and see what information I can beat out of them about who they are and what they're doing. Yes, yes. Well, I would very much appreciate any information like that in the future, if ever you find yourself back here at the, the Elf Song Tavern. I will make sure that it gets to you. See what I can do. So, I'm curious, how did you meet your companions? Well, that was an interesting coincidence. We each, the four of us, Jeffrey, my uh, warlock companion, uh, excuse me, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey is not his full name. I That is a mistake I often make. His full name is Jeffica. I have still, to this day, been somewhat confounded by his full name, but I must respect it. So, Jeffica, our tiefling warlock companion, uh, Gorlax, our Goliath bloodhunter, and of course, Neko, uh, my shifter rogue friend. While I don't like to classify people in some sort of way, it seems as if people find it helpful when you call yourself something like a cleric or a rogue or a fighter, and so that is what we must do. And the four of us, we each received a letter from someone inviting us to the town of Fardsbottom, informing us that there were some 
some sort of monster or creature terrorizing the town, and they were looking for someone to come and vanquish said foe. And uh, I can't speak for the others, but I received this letter while staying at a uh, small inn in a, in a abandoned uh, supply room because I didn't want to attract any attention. I'm not actually sure how the messenger found me, but the four of us met on a caravan from Arabelle on the way into Fardsbottom, and that's, that's when we first introduced ourselves to one another, and I met Gorlax loudly playing his bagpipes. That was actually my first interaction with the group. Never been a fan of bagpipes. You know, as a dwarf, I mean, as a warforge raised among dwarves, I've always found them to be soothing, reminder of my culture. But I must say, Goliath bagpipes are made to be significantly louder than dwarven bagpipes. And so it did take a, what I would call an adjustment period to acclimate myself to Gorlax's unique volume. I once traveled with a Goliath who had bagpipes. They fell into the fire one night at camp. It's very mm. unfortunate. Inquiry. The Goliath or the bagpipes? The bagpipes. Ah, yes. Well, I I can imagine Gorlax would be quite upset if his bagpipes were to end up at my forge one night, but we'll see. He's continuing to make a name for himself, and, well, I think that in not too much time, the slippery swords will become synonymous with the sound of his bagpipes coming over the hill. Well, the image of enemies running in terror at the sound of bagpipes is rather entertaining. Uh, exactly. So that seems to be the idea that he is going for. Well, it's whatever works for him. Yes, yes. So we arrived in the town of Fardsbottom and we saw that since each of us had received a letter, why not join, join together as a party? And uh, since then, it's been some time, but we have slowly but surely come to be almost a family. I'm glad you found them then, and who knows, perhaps one day they can help you learn more about your people and where you're from. I do hope so. I've run across several Warforged, but I've never seen one with a forge built as a part of them as yours is. Yes, it is strange. That and, as you see here, the uh, blacksmithing equipment that can actually come out of my very frame itself. I seem to have been made with a purpose to create rather than destroy, which is something I take to heart. Uh, but I can only imagine sometimes at night when I'm in sentry mode, I do have dark thoughts about whether or not I could have been made for some other darker purpose to create weapons, which are then themselves used to destroy. And so back at the mines, I tried to specialize in creating uh, tools for, for mining and crafting and shields. And occasionally, of course, I would have to make hammers for the dwarves that patrolled the, the mines, but I tried to focus on those which could create or protect. As I said, it's not what you are made for, but what you choose to be. It's true. I rarely believe that fate is set in stone. Well, I, believe... I think if... Oh, excuse me, please, continue. I believe some things may be a little more certain than others, but you can always choose how things come to be. I think that is likely true, and if the fate of the Slippery Swords is written somewhere on a stone, I imagine Gorlax would use his hammer to crush that stone and forge our own path. He's quite straightforward when it comes to 
conflict resolution and such things. Sometimes that can be very useful. Yes, I find that each of us, each of our members of the party seem to bring something unique and useful to our our little family here. Uh, Neko is able to apply a softer, more subtle touch, uh, whereas uh, Jeff is uh, somewhat more the fiery type. He's quite good at uh, thinking on what I believe they say the seat of his pants or flying from it, one or the other. Term is flying. Ah, yes, flying, excuse me. I am still trying to make my way here in this world and understand all the strange euphemisms. Most of mine come from dwarves. You were rather close. The rest will come in time, I have no doubt. Yes, yes. And as I have told the others, I have only been conscious for just over two years, which I understand to be strange to many others uh, here in this world, given my somewhat advanced state of development. But in many ways, I am still, I must admit, like a child in my understanding of the world. It was only a few weeks ago that I assumed the most common form of exchanging currency was through the mouth. That's how I paid our first caravan driver. I just assumed that it was a deposit. Uh, that's what I had heard my father say. They needed to go to the bank to make a deposit. And so I just assumed that that was how one made a deposit. I wish I could have seen that. Yes, it was quite the sight. Cletus, actually, the caravan driver, he ate the thing whole. I've never seen such a thing. But the party did eventually correct me in my ways, so I now pay by handing coins to, to others. I imagine that goes much smoother, though not quite as entertaining. Yes, yes. And there are many other examples I, I would be loath to admit of things that I either thought I knew the way to do or I modeled them after my companions, such as the windows you see here in the Elsong Tavern, which have been recently mended, were by myself, were broken through by my fellow party members leaping through the windows, which is a an unfortunate habit we seem to have you know, taken on uh, as a group. And uh, thankfully, my clerical powers do allow me some gift of mending, and I have been able to ensure that we do not leave a trail of broken glass and panes in our wake. I imagine there are many people who very much appreciate that. Yes, the, the, the proprietor of this tavern in particular. So, is your party investigating anything new around here, or...? Well, yes, we actually were recently sent on a information gathering mission to the town of Sucomber. It was outside of this town, actually, that we ran into those Yuan-Ti that I mentioned that attacked us. The pillars appear to have some sort of uh, mobile base, which is a floating castle of some sort, and it had recently appeared over or near this town of Sucomber, and so we were sent to investigate and, well, when we arrived in town, it seemed as if there was something strange amiss. The entire town was covered in a mist, which, of course, prevented us from finding any sort of floating castle. And those who we attempted to ask about it seemed not to have any idea what we were talking about. Odd. Maybe they were unable to perceive it. Yes. Neko's keen senses detected that there seemed to be something that the inhabitants of the town were, this sounds strange, but listening to in the sky. She noticed occasionally people 
cocking their heads as if they were listening to a sound that none of us could hear. It was rather strange. Very strange and powerful magic going on there. Yes, it certainly led to what I can only describe as a catastrophic chain of events, but I probably should not go into the details at this moment, given how recently they occurred. I would like to make sure we get to complete our debriefing back at the Whispering Blades beforehand. That's probably a good idea, though I would be curious to hear more afterwards. Yes, yes. Well, I can only tell you this, that there was definitely more to that town than met the eye, and that much of the danger came not from above, but from below. But I've probably said too much. Invisible things speaking to mine coming from the Underdark. This is true. Would I be wrong in guessing a mind flare might be behind this? It was no mind flare, but a creature far larger, though not quite as nefarious as a mind flare. But I must say that the mind controlling influence was similar to that of these mind flayers you refer to. I have never encountered one, but the dwarves spoke of them as one of the most dangerous foes we could encounter in the Underdark. Yes, it's they're nasty to deal with, unless they're one of the rather friendly ones. Then they're still a little tricky, but mostly, mostly trustworthy. You just have to make sure they get dead, which is very gross to watch. Yes, one of the recent travelers here, one of the patrons here in the Elsong Tavern, actually told me a strange tale of a of a mind flayer who works aboard a ship known as the Sea Monster, which had once docked here, and he said he was a, an inventor of some sort. I would be most interested to meet him one day. I'd be interested as well. I do believe that there's someone over there trying to get your attention. Possibly one of the... Members of the organization that you say you don't know much about? Uh, yes. I should probably go and talk to that person who I don't know, just to see what they might have to tell me. Very well. If you wouldn't mind mentioning that I'd be curious to speak with one of their more senior members, I'm just looking for more information. Give them my name. They've probably heard of me, or at least someone that knows me. Yes, of course. Given our conversation today, I feel quite confident that I could convince someone that perhaps you might actually be able to do some good for the Whispering Blades and help find others like us. I very well could. Also curious to know more about these pillars and just exactly what they're up to. Yes, well, if you do, the one last thing I would warn you about is if you encounter a Mogogol, a frogman named Billups. Just run. Is he dangerous or just don't trust the word he says? Affirmation, yes. To both. Though we have not witnessed his fury, we have spoken to those who have, and his power apparently belies his simple appearance. So I just would caution you. I would consider you now a friend and would not want any harm to come to you. I appreciate that. I consider you as a friend as well. Well, it has been, I must say, a unique pleasure getting to speak to you and, again, get some of this out, uh, off my forge, and it's been nice to speak to someone who's a stranger. It has been my pleasure as well. Until we meet again. Until we meet again. Farewell.
Hello and welcome to St. Fleur, where the city is modern, the fantasy is urban, and the faction politics are at an all-time high. Join us in Shadows of St. Fleur as we follow the wizard, Alistair Lockwood. Regret to inform you, I'm not a wizard. I am a master of the arcane arts. The scholar, Jeremiah Roderick Crawford. I'm an earl, you know, and you're a baron. Those words carry some weight. The wolf, Victor Margaret. Victor stands on the bridge in the cold. Fuck. The fae who is known only as Silk. Um, do we know if this was a, you know, was a standard mugging? And the vamp, Alex Giroux. Quite. Because the first time the door opens, I'm going to push her out. Through their experience in the city. Shadows of St. Fleur is an Urban Shadows actual play podcast with a majority LGBTQ plus cast playing characters finding their way through faction politics, all in pursuit of their own individual goals. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Tales of Adventure is directed and produced by me, Brianna Toiber, as part of Pseudonym Social, a creative podcast network. The music is by Patrick Chester of Chester Studios. To see more of his work, visit his website at chesterstudios.net. Find out more about Pseudonym Social by visiting our website at pseudonymsocial.wordpress.com. If you like what I'm doing and would like to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash pseudonymsocial and choose one of the tiers connected to Tales of Adventure. You can also leave a review on iTunes to make our show easier to find for those who need it.